55. Mary got up and hurried to a city in the Judean highlands. She entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. With a loud voice, she blurted out, God has blessed you above all women, and he has blessed the child you carry. Why do I have this honor that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Happy is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill the promises he made to her. Mary said, with all my heart, I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God my Savior. He has looked with favor on the lost status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors him as God. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from the thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, just as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to Abraham descendants forever. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for a silent reflection. Good morning, friends. My name is Emily McGinley, and if you talk about me, you can use the pronouns she, her, and hers. I have the great joy of serving as your senior pastor and to worship with you in this morning, to lead with others, uh, many of whom you saw up front, but many of people who you don't often see up front. Uh, RJ mentioned that I never mention him, so. <laughs> so RJ was uh, one of the many folks who helped to set up um, all of our uh, our, our things um, so that we can gather together this morning. Um, uh, before I move into prayer, just a, a brief content warning for that today's sermon will um, reference uh, death by suicide. So um, if that is something that is hard for you to hear at this moment, I want to give you a kind of a heads up about that. If you need to step out, that's fine. Let us pray. God, we are grateful for this opportunity to come together um, to be in worship with one another to open our ears and our hearts and our minds to what it is that you might have to say to us today. And so we um, give thanks that uh, the World Cup game has been completed so we can be fully present in this space, regardless of who won. Um, we ask that you would clear away all those other things, those to-do lists, those 
um, anxieties that might crowd out our thoughts and prevent us from hearing you clearly, just clear way, all of that so that we might be fully present with one another and most importantly with you. Speak through me because of me and also in spite of me um, so that uh, you might be heard with all clarity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Every time I reflect on this passage um, today, I'm reminded of a tweet that I once uh, read that said, every discussion of biblical womanhood should include the fact that in Luke 1, two pregnant women celebrate their new motherhood by passionately discussing the coming overthrow of every earthly empire. One of the things I love about Luke's telling of the gospel is how the author takes special care to point out all the ways in which God's use of power is incredibly queer, uh, that it's upside down from how we've been taught to think about power. Now, some of us are fortunate to have people in our lives that give us space and who love us just for who we are. Maybe you have had one or two such people in your life. Well, Mary had this and her cousin, Auntie Elizabeth, which is why she shows up at Elizabeth's front door to share a piece of news that just couldn't be trusted to be sent through Messenger. Elizabeth already knew that something was up when baby John did a somersault in utero at the sound of the doorbell. She's 24 weeks along, right about when you'd start feeling baby move, and though this was her first, even Elizabeth could tell that something was different this time. So when she opens the door, Elizabeth is ready for her journey of wonder to keep going, and she is not disappointed. Maybe the news had finally sunk in, the glow had worn off, and suddenly Mary was stricken. What have I just agreed to? <laughs> Either way, there was only one person she knew she could talk about this with. In Luke's telling, Joseph doesn't even make an appearance at all. And like so many young girls who find it easier to talk to a favorite aunt about sex and sexuality and unexpected pregnancies, so does Mary come to Auntie Liz. She takes a breath. So, Auntie, Mary begins, any chance I could have your maternity clothes when you're done? Now, if you're familiar with Mary's story, then you might recall that the angel Gabriel paid her a visit not much earlier with an offer she didn't refuse. And after they explain the mechanics, Mary consents, here I am servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And when I reflect on this moment for Mary in light of her relationship with Elizabeth, I have to wonder if Gabriel's invitation isn't a little like when Moses turned to approach the burning bush. Now let me explain. I once had a Hebrew Bible professor explain something that stuck with me. He said the desert was regularly actually quite dry and um, so hot that burning bushes were actually pretty common to encounter that God chose something incredibly ordinary as a vehicle for God's activity makes you wonder how many people walked right by that bush before Moses came along and noticed that it wasn't consumed. And I wonder how many faithful, young, ordinary women Gabriel approached before they came upon Mary. I wonder what gave Mary the courage to say yes. And I wonder if it had something to do with her aunt Elizabeth. Now, just before our passage for today, we hear Elizabeth's story, and in it, we learn that she, too, was a deeply faithful person. Elizabeth and her partner, Zechariah, were those church people that every pastor needs, dependable, consistent, practically helpful, spiritually generous, so take note, and while they had hoped to have a child, it just wasn't going to happen until, shocker, an angel comes to tell Zechariah that he's about to become an Abba. Now, things don't turn out so well for Zechariah after this, but that is a theological conversation on mansplaining and angelic misanthropy that is better suited for another day. 
The most important thing to understand from this event is that combined with our passage from today, there is something in Elizabeth which I'm convinced led to, well, something about Mary. And the reason why I say this is that after their initial greeting, Elizabeth's response isn't shock or dismay or even like sharp questions about that Joseph guy who she never really trusted anyway and always suspected was up to no good. No, Elizabeth is not concerned about whether Mary has been bamboozled or what people will think. She's too excited about what God is up to and how her favorite niece will be part of that good trouble. Now, Elizabeth doesn't miss a beat. She declares to Mary that she is blessed and her child will be a gift to the world before there are any questions at all. We need people like that in our lives, don't we? Now, Mary comes to Elizabeth, not out of shame, not because she needs a place to hide out while her pregnancy progresses, and not even to find someone who will defend Mary to her parents, a fight that the author of Luke tactfully leaves out. No, she travels all that way because it is in Elizabeth's home where she is loved just for who she is. It's there where she is encouraged to speak with her authentic voice and with power. It is in her relationship with Elizabeth that Mary's theological imagination can be cultivated and where she can be at ease as she explores what that actually looks like and means for her. Mary comes to her auntie because that is who inspires her to sing with power and a clarity infused with love. I wonder, have you ever had a person like that in your life? Is there someone to whom you are showing a similar kind of love? I want to invite you, just for a few minutes, if you would, to reflect on this. And you're welcome, but not required, uh, to share with someone nearby. And so for those who are joining us online, you are also free to share in the chat as well. So I'll give you just a a few minutes to reflect on that um, on your own or with someone near you.
give you about 30 more seconds. All right, I invite you to come back together. Now, if you didn't have someone in mind who you could say with any authenticity that, that created that kind of space for your life, in your life for you, um, don't despair. You're not the only one. Uh, it took me quite a while to find someone like that in my life, um, but all of us can be someone who can provide that space for others, right? And the power of having someone who in your life can create space to receive, affirm, and amplify your whole self, not just when things are going well, but perhaps even more importantly, when things are going utterly wrong. <laughs> this cannot be underestimated, not because it's a nice thing to have um, or to do, but because it can actually save someone's very life. The very first funeral I ever presided over was for Takiya Johnson. Now, on the surface, Takiya seemed to be one of those people who had it all. She was civic -minded, a civic-minded lawyer, donating her time and intellect to support causes that served others, especially black and brown queer people like herself. She was intelligent, stylish, she had her own style blog, and a wonderful aunt to her nieces and nephew. But like many queer women of color, she struggled. She struggled to be fully accepted by members of her family, always having her queerness ignored or dismissed. She struggled as she pursued her PhD in black studies at the University of Illinois, grappling with the heaviness of the subject and the solitude of doctoral work. And all of this, coupled with the loneliness of quarantining amidst a pandemic, overtook her and she died by her own hand. At her funeral, there was testimony after testimony of how much she had given to the community, to her friends and her colleagues, the care, the tenderness and compassion that she had so freely offered to others, even as she herself needed those very things. And so as I read the news of Twitch, a celebrity known for their gifted dancing and joyful personality, a partner and a father of three, as I read the words of grief and recountings of those who knew him as someone who was joyful, kind, and generous, I couldn't help but think of Takiya and others in this community who have been deeply impacted by those who have died by suicide. There are others among us, I know, who grapple deeply with their own ideations and struggle to just keep their heads above the water. The holiday season is hardest for those who struggle, not necessarily because the things that weigh on us are particularly worse, but because it is a time when we feel most alone in the midst of those struggles. And I wonder, I wonder if Mary, if she had been left alone on her own to wade through this complex season of her life, I wonder what might have become of her. But she wasn't alone, right? She had her aunt Elizabeth her actual family, but also her chosen family. Someone who would receive her without judgment, without shame, and without 
while anything but love and affirmation. Chosen family is chosen not because we're perfect, but because we hold space for each other's truest selves as we journey together, caring for one another as best that we can along the way, showing up for one another even when it is inconvenient to us, receiving one another even if it throws our plans out the window. At City Church, this is who we seek to be, and we don't do it perfectly, but we do try to do it faithfully. This is partly why we're having worship next Sunday on Christmas Day, as well as a fellowship brunch at our offices on New Year's Day, because this is what it means to create spaces for healing and belonging. Spaces which remind us that even if we are grappling with despair and loneliness, anxiety, or grief, we don't have to struggle alone. This is also why we have a counseling center and a deacon's fund, which makes it possible for anyone in our community and beyond to pursue mental health and wellness. Now, next Sunday on Christmas Day, our offering will be dedicated to the deacon's fund. And so I invite you, if you show up on Sunday morning, to give with generosity to support that fund. If you are joining us online or if you're going to be joining remotely, to give to that fund on that day as well. Finally, this is why we show up for our city in the ways that we can. This past Thursday, I joined with other city churchers at the Civic Center for an annual vigil to remember those unhoused folks who have died in our streets this past year. A reminder to us of our unjust economic and housing circumstances here in the city in particular. And so the banners you see here, these are just two that were lined up in a circle, listing those names as they were being read. And as I listened, I wondered, I wondered who had loved these people. I wondered who had held them as infants and given them a name. Or if the name they died with was one that they had chosen for themselves. I wonder if they had ever found a place or people who made space for them to be just who they were. I thought of them and the final dignity of having their names remembered and spoken out loud, a dignity that our partners at City Hope seek to offer with their rule, um, to say a guest's name at least three times when they come through the doors for a Saturday morning breakfast. These are small things, but also maybe they're not so small when you feel invisible, invisible and vulnerable. The love and belonging that Mary knew in her moment of vulnerability was so overwhelming that she couldn't help but sing of that love with a God-infused imagination. A love that feels like liberation, of justice, of freedom from oppression and the bondage of evil. A love that looks like the mighty being brought down low and the lowly being lifted up. A love that feels like full bellies for hungry people and mercy across generations. A love that declares you blessed as soon as the door opens. This fourth week of Advent reminds us that love joins us in the world. Not so much as an idea or a feeling, but a choice. A choice in family and a choice to be like family with and for one another. A choice that welcomes us as we are and points us to who God wants us to be. A choice that compels us forward and out to a world that's other, so that others might know the same kind of love that Mary knew from Elizabeth, that Jesus knew from Mary, that we all might know from the Christ child who grew to be a man 
and showed us what a love song looks like in person. Let us pray. God, we are grateful that even in the joy of this season, we can be with one another and also the heaviness of what this season can bring. I ask God that you would help us to show up for one another in the ways that we need it most, to offer what we can of ourselves so that others might know that they are not alone. And we pray, we pray God, for all of those who are out there on the streets whose names might be read next year, that they might know some kind of experience of belonging, of love, of care, and that you might commit our hands and our hearts to that work. Help us to love each other as best we can the ways that you love us, reminding us that it doesn't have to be everything and it doesn't have to be perfect, but it should be something. We pray all of this with gratitude. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>